0: Thanks, Colonel. Girl, the girl's laser tag is on Friday the 13th? Yes. It seems like a missed opportunity <laughs> for some fun scare, scare opportunities. No! <laughs>
1: it's terrible, Pastor Jeff. <laughs> well, welcome, everybody. We're so glad that you are here today. If we haven't met you before, I'm Christy Kerr. This is my husband, Jeff, and we are the pastors here at Homestead. And we are starting a new series today on relationships. I was waiting for a raucous applause. Yes! I was hoping today we would start a series on relationships. Uh, We've been wanting to do this for a while. We've been wanting to kind of take some time and and talk about families, talk about marriages, talk about just the key relationships in our life. As we've been talking to people over the last few months, I think that a lot of people would say um, there's been a lot of strain and stress in a lot of relationships, and it's an area that we're starting to see some of the fractures and and things coming to the surface, and a lot of people are really dealing with this, and so we wanted to take some time and uh, look at Scripture and what God has to say about our relationships. Um, I know for a lot of us, our relationships are the things that can really, really, really be difficult, right? We can face stresses when it comes to work. We can face stresses when it comes to finances. We can even look at the world at large and the big picture things that are going on in the world, and it can feel stressful. But the thing that will break your heart And the thing that will keep you up at night and the thing that uh, hurts so deeply is when there is a fracture or something that's not working right in our relationships. Would you agree with me? It's just a whole other level of stress and difficulty. And so I know a lot of people have been walking through seasons of difficulty in their marriage. Maybe they've been walking through something with one of their kids. And so we want to talk about what the Bible says about uh, our relationships. And spoiler alert... It says a lot, right? The Bible is not just a book about how we can know God better, which it is, but it is chock full of how our relationship with God is then walked out in, in our relationships with one another. And so we're going to be talking about that. And as if we've been praying and preparing to talk about this, I really felt like God dropped a picture into my mind of a garden. And maybe it's just because I really want it to be sunny and I want to be outside and I want to be digging in the dirt, but... As I've been praying and thinking about this, I keep coming back to this picture of a garden and the idea of this, that growing something beautiful and healthy takes effort and work and time. If you want to have something really beautiful and healthy, it takes effort and it takes work, and it takes time. And many of us are looking at our relationships, the relationships in our life, whether it's our our marriage, our kids, our family, our extended relationships, our friendships, and a lot of people are looking at them going, my relationship looks nothing like a flourishing garden. It looks like a bunch of weeds, barren and dry and overrun I think a lot of people you know when we think about our relationships and what they bring to our lives the potential is there for it to bring so much joy right our healthy relationships they bring us joy and fulfillment and companionship and happiness and the potential is all there and yet a lot of us I think are looking at the landscape of our relationships and saying right now it just feels like a whole lot of work It just feels a little overwhelming. I'm looking at, I don't even know where to begin. I can't remember the last time that it brought me any kind of joy and fulfillment. It just, it just all seems dead and desolate, and I don't even know where to start. Now, if you walked into my garden right now in my backyard, if you went out and looked at it, it is nothing beautiful. There is nothing there, uh, and you all can probably agree. It's A big old mess. There's dead stuff everywhere. There's garbage from the winter. The snow melts. And I'm like, how did the garbage end up in the backyard? There's just stuff everywhere. There's dead things. There's the tomato cages from last year that I was too lazy to bring in. They're just kind of strewn about. And so if you go and you look at it, you think there's there's nothing great happening here. But if I went out there and decided, you know what, I really want to have a great healthy garden, and I just grabbed a bunch of seeds and I threw it right now onto my garden plot, What would happen? Nothing, right? Because the environment is not at all conducive to growing anything. So before I can see any kind of fruit, any kind of beauty, I have to get in there and I have to cultivate that garden. I have to get in there. I have to tend to it. I have to work at it. I have to pay attention to what it needs. And then I have to invest the time and the energy and the ingredients that will create an environment where good things can grow. I have to pull out the dead stuff. I have to throw out the rocks. I have to clean it all up. And many of us, we want relationships in our lives that are healthy and beautiful, for them to have all of those things that fulfill us. But many of us, if we're honest, we're not doing anything to cultivate the ground of those relationships. We're not investing the time and energy needed we're not making the effort to clean up those messes and figure out what we need to do to make the conditions better. We want the fruit over here. We want to feel connected to our spouse. We want to have a healthy relationship with our kids. We want nourishing friendships. And we're, we're not actually doing anything to try and, and fix the ground, to cultivate the ground, to make it better. We just kind of look at it and go, oh. And listen, it's, it's not that easy to get in there and do the work, right? Some, it's a lot of work. How many of you, you start doing yard work this time of year, you start cleaning stuff and all of a sudden you're like, it's just getting worse. Like, it just feels like it just gets worse. You know, you start cleaning out things and you're like, this is a bigger mess than when I started. And sometimes that's exactly the case when we decide to really uh, cultivate our relationships. There are things in our marriage, we will be married 25 years this December. So far, so Good. We're still here, but you know what? There are things over the last couple of years that we have just decided, you know what? We got to dig into this. There's, there's issues, there's fights, there's things that keep popping up over and over and over again, and you know, a lot of us Minnesotans and Canadians, we're really good at just ignoring things, right? We are really good. I mean, you might have a Scandinavian grandma that goes, man, we didn't fight for 40 years. We just didn't talk about anything that was bad, right? We just left it. And so we can do that. We could, and for a lot of years, I think we did some of the things, the fundamental cracks in our relationship, we just kind of ignored. We just kind of worked around it. We'd have the fight, and then we'd move on, and then it would come up again, and we're like, oh, we'll just move on again, and so, but we've decided in the last couple of years that we're going to kind of get in there and start to try. And, we would like 25 more years and then some. And so, if we're going to do that, we're probably we decided we need to get in there. And so, we do counseling. And there are times that we have sat there in the middle of a very big disagreement, and we've looked at each other and gone, "It was a lot easier to ignore this. It was a lot easier to just pretend it wasn't there than to actually get into what's going on in me that makes me react this way. What's going on in you, and to actually do the work." And so that is what we are challenging you to do over the next few weeks. You have to cultivate the ground if you want the relationships to grow. You have to get in there and you have to do the work. And um, just going along with the status quo, you can do that. But that's not what God has for you. He has designed the relationships in our lives to bring abundant joy and fulfillment and companionship, all these really good things. And if we will partner with what God is going to do, we will see that kind of fruit in our lives. But it's going to take some work, and it's going to be hard. And sometimes you'll wish that you had just left the soil as it is. But I promise you, if you will partner with the Holy Spirit and do the work, you will find something beautiful on the other side.
0: So over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into talking about a lot of relationships. A lot of it's going to be in the context of marriage, but for the non-married people here, I don't want you to check out for four weeks because a lot of the principles are for all relationships, Um, co-workers, family. A lot of times the, the relationship that's strained in your life might be you and one of your kids or you and a close friend or a sibling or something like that. But we want to just dive in because we see how important this is, how foundational relationships are to God, how he designed us. God is relational. God designed us to be relational. The message of the Bible, if you were to try to sum it up into one word, it would be, in my opinion, relationship. How God desired to have a relationship with mankind. How God designed us to need a relationship with him, to need a relationship with other people. This is what the Bible is about. So first of all, it shows that God wants a relationship with us, and that's unique If you look at God's the the gods that people worship around the world or through the Old Testament or throughout history, a lot of times it's a statue or an image or something that you would worship with the idea of, well, I'm going to try to get this god to be okay with me so that we get rain on our crops or that we have food or that we're protected from our enemies. But the idea of a god being relational was foreign is foreign around the world with any other God except the God of the Scripture, except the God that we worship. This God is relational. He wants a relationship with us, and he's designed us with a priority to have relationships with others. It's actually how we live out our relationship with God. We see this um, right from the foundation of mankind in the book of Genesis when we read about the creation of man and woman. When God created man, discovered that men it was not good for man to be alone because of relationship because of all the blessings that comes to us from a close relationship it says this in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 this will be up on the screen it is uh, for the lord god said it is not good for man to be alone i will make a helper suitable for him god saw a man god saw adam in the garden and said it's not good for man to be alone sometimes men we think oh that sounds pretty nice garden all by myself <laughs> must be super quiet. But God saw it and said, it's not good for you to be alone. But I highlighted that word helper for a reason. A lot of times uh, people read that and the role of, if you read through scripture, the role of how scripture and the teachings of Jesus elevated the role of women. When God created man, and then created woman to be a helper, it is by no means, and some people see this as like, well, the woman was created second to come and be a an assistant to the man or to help the man. You know, the, the, the word helper is from a Hebrew word that's the same word that is used throughout the Old Testament to describe how God helps people. So, for example, in Psalm 3320, it says, For the Lord, he is our help and he is our shield. A crucial help to us. That's the same word that is used there to describe why God created women. Because that close relationship, husband and wife, is designed to be as such a blessing to both people. Marriage relationships and all relationships are good for the people involved. That's how they are designed for both people in marriage. In any marriage, in any relationship, there's difference of opinions and those different views or different strengths or different weaknesses, they are designed to complement one another and for us to grow and to enhance the relationship. This is what relationships are designed to do. Relationships help you grow. Relationships help smooth off some of the rough edges, right? So I have grown a ton because of my relationship with Christy. My relationship with Christy has helped me grow in a number of ways. It's helped smooth off some of the rough edges, in Christy um, over the years. No, just kidding. You should have seen her before I met her. Our relationship is designed to help us through difficult seasons. When you walk through a difficult time, when you're going through a struggle, how difficult would it be to be isolated on your own? But in a healthy marriage relationship or a healthy friendship or family relationship, that is designed to be such a blessing and to benefit everyone involved. There's a problem over the last couple of years that I have witnessed, and in all of the problems we've seen in our world over the last couple of years. Relationships have taken a hit over the last two years. And you think, just in the... in the area of isolation, social isolation, what the pandemic did for people to feel alone and isolated and separated from so many relationships, what that does to you emotionally, spiritually, physically, because we were not designed to be isolated from relationships. Relationships have taken a hit, and we saw that with isolation. But more than that, and more specifically, what we've seen over the last two years is anytime there's a difference between two groups of people or two individuals, all of a sudden now, we've started to see that as like a reason for conflict. Like there's a difference there. We think about things differently. We view things differently. Our stories are differently. Maybe we vote differently or we have different views about all these polarizing things. And over the last two years, what I've seen and what we've seen around the world is these differences were not reasons for us to say there's diversity in thought and your viewpoint is valuable. It's seen as you are different in your thoughts and views and therefore we must argue until you see it the way I see it. Differences are seen as a source of conflict now in a way that's much more elevated than I believe it has been in a long time.
1: When it comes to marriage, our our differences are actually a really important part of what makes our relationships work. So a couple of years ago, um, I was listening to a podcast and it was right in the middle of the pandemic. And it was by uh, doctors John and Julie Gottman. They run the Gottman Institute of Marriage, and they were, uh, they've done tons of research, gathered lots of data about relationships. They were just very insightful about a whole lot of things, and one of the things that they talked about was with all the data they've gathered, they still can't predict what will make two people fall in love, what will make two people drawn to each other, what will attract them to each other. They can't predict like, oh, that and that will go together and make it work, and you all are like, yes, I know those people, like whoever would have thought. I think people thought that about us. We've come a long way. We were very different when we met. Jeff was a ski bum from Calgary who had a little, like flock of seagulls and a long flannel and holes in his clothes and a really gross car, and I carried a briefcase and wore a suit to class. That's where we started. So we've come a long way in our differences. I mean, this is progress. But anyway, one of the things that the Gottmans said that they could say with certainty is that we are not drawn to people that are similar to us. We do not select a partner or a mate or a friend because they are like us. It's actually their differences that are attractive to you. The things about them that are like, that's not like me. That actually draws us to one another. So when we think about that, that we, we are attracted to somebody in our lives, our partner, because of their differences. And then what happens when we get married? suddenly those differences become the thing that we just really want to change because we want them to be like us. And as they were talking about the podcast, they were actually talking about the stress of the last few years and how when uh, we are attracted to differences in our partner, but in times of stress, what brings us comfort is people that think like us. That is part of why everybody has become so like, I need you to think like me. Because everything feels really out of control. And so I need you to think like me, to think, uh, observe things like me, to want things like me. And so what used to be great now feels scary. For instance, in our relationship, one of us is an underreactor. And one of us is not. <laughs> one of us, <laughs> my kid is like, what? I don't know. One of us, when things happen and uh, from the moment we got married to when we started being parents and we're trying to decide what to do about things, one of us would just be like, eh, I'm sure it's fine. It'll all work out. And one of us reacted completely appropriately at right, even keeled, not at all above what was called for at any point, right? So those things can sometimes feel frustrating. And I noticed that when the pandemic started and everything was really scary and nobody really knew what was going on and everything was super heightened, I was like, we need to do something. And I remember Jeff being like, yeah, it'll all get figured out. And I'm like, the global pandemic figured out. And I remember as it went on, I was so frustrated. And I remember getting angry and irritated. And there was a lot of conflict between the two of us. And I remember thinking like, why am I feeling so angry about the way he's reacting to this? And when I heard this podcast, it really opened my eyes. It was because I was scared. I didn't know what was happening. I felt uncertain. And so in that moment, to try and comfort myself, I wanted him to feel as scared as me. If you feel as scared as me, then that will make it okay. And once I realized that, I thought, well, what a silly thing. Because the greatest gift that the Lord has given me in having someone who underreacts is there's a little bit of balance, right? When I wanted to, you know, you know start to react to things, having this person in my life would help me see a different perspective. You know what? It's okay. Let's calm down. It's going to be better. It's going to be all right. And so learning to embrace those differences as a gift that God has given us, and whether it's your spouse or whether it's just someone in your life that is a really good um, counterbalance to you, maybe it's a friend or it's your mom, and, and lately it seemed really annoying that they don't agree with you on something, take a step back and say, you know what? I honestly, I'm going to listen because this balance of opinion in my life is a gift that God has given to me to help with our differences.
0: Um, we, I've seen that in us where there's times where if I view our differences as a reason for conflict and like, why can't she be like me? our culture has done the same thing where I mentioned it already. We try to find that we align ourselves with people who are like us, maybe look like us, maybe vote like us, maybe have the same views as us. And eventually what we do is we think, well, if I could just be around the people like me, then everything's going to be fine. There'll be no conflict. And that's really like, a, I guess for a lack of a better word, like this homogenized, like no diversity of thought. It's like, everyone's just like me. And that just misses out on you, And we think that it's going to avoid conflict that way, but what that does is it just misses out on all the diversity of thought, all the diversity that, that uh, it brings in our world. All the ways that Christy is different from me are there to make me a better person, to enhance our life together. It's not better if it's just like, well, if you could just be like me, then it would be just fine. And we're, very, and we're very different. But when I recognize that, I recognize the things that she is bringing to my life are causing me to grow in a lot of areas. One, for example, maybe this is the one way that we're different. For me, for example, if I'm going to um, start a conversation with someone, the first thing I'll do is I will look around and see if that person is in the room with me. That's how we're different because Christy will be in the room somewhere and she'll just start talking to me and it does not matter if I'm in the basement, <laughs> in the garage. She just, she puts the words out there and eventually they will get there. So I have what a lot to say. So what's happening to me is because we're different, I'm developing superhuman hearing abilities <laughs> and it's making me a better person. So I'll be somewhere in the basement and I'll hear her talking and I'm like, I think she's talking to me. <laughs> But I'm nowhere near her, so I'll go up the stairs and I'll find her and I'll be in the garage and I'm also developing like a spidey sense of I think my wife is talking to me. I better go find her. And I'll find her and I'll, and I'll get her and she's, you know, halfway through her conversation and I'll always start with, sorry, I missed all of that. Could you repeat it? And I, I always start with sorry because that's the right way to do it. Um, and so that is, that, is one way, that is one way that we're different. Now, I, I joke about that, but here's the thing. All the differences, if you're viewing differences in your relationship, whether it's a marriage with your kids, with a friendship, co-worker, whatever it is, the work that God wants to do in you is going to be walked out in how you reconcile that relationship, how you work through that relationship. It is God's work in you for you to learn how to love, to grow in patience, not to grow impatient, to grow in your patience, um, to grow in your understanding, to support, and to forgive. Um, it is married people. It is God's work in you to learn how to love your spouse better. Now, I say that. It could be that God's work in you is to, for you to not be a people pleaser or for you to not be, um, all, you know, prideful or for you to set appropriate boundaries or for you to learn how to more healthily communicate with one another. But all of these things that it's going to take for you to reconcile a relationship are the is the work that God wants to do in you. It's not going to be, you're not going to grow in your patience by just sitting in a room praying and reading your Bible. God is going to say, well, that's fine, but you're going to grow in your patience. You're going to grow in your love by how you work on these relationships. Spouses, God's work in you is to learn how to love one another, to not be so defensive or prideful or to not, whatever it is. God wants to do that work through you. The friction that is caused in doing that, it causes you to be like, oh, like she said, it's like, oh, it's just easier if I just leave it alone. But the friction that's there is going to cause you to die to yourself. It's going to cause you to get to dive into these difficult conversations. Now, what we're going to talk about later on in this series, it, it takes both people to do it right? It takes both people to do it, to be willing to navigate through this difficult relationship. But you have to recognize differences is what makes you better as a team and as an individual. As a family, we are way better when Christy and I operate in our differences as well as our similarities. We're better parents when we embrace our different viewpoints and perspectives. As a church, both of us leading a church together. There are times it is super difficult and complicated for husband and wife to pastor a church together. And the staff and our children say amen to that. There's times where we're like, we don't really know how to disagree with each other in front of the staff. And it's clunky. We met, we have some friends of ours that when we were f- first talking about planting a church together, they had planted a church as husband and wife years before. And we said, what's your advice? And they said, let me just tell you what. What? When you decide to plant a church as husband and wife together, first thing you do, you sign up for marriage counseling and just, <laughs> just have the appointment on the books. So, But we recognize as leaders for this church, we are way stronger when we embrace differences. So I don't want us to look at differences or conflict in a relationship as a reason to be like, oh, this isn't going to work. You navigate through it. There is, a, there is a work that God wants to do in you through navigating through that conflict.
1: So I think with differences, I have found in myself a really easy way to identify whether or not I am seeing the differences in other people as something positive or something negative. and it is criticism. criticism is your is your red flag as to whether or not you are a- appreciating the differences of the of your spouse or your kids or the people in your life, or whether or not you are um, appreciating them or whether you are not appreciating them. Sorry, it's three services. I'm losing all my words, right? Criticism can creep in, whether it's coming out of your mouth or whether it's just going through your head, right? For instance, it could be just a small thing. It could be like like Jeff Kerr. He eats an apple every day and he takes the sticker off and he puts it right on the side of the sink. And I think, Does he not know where the garbage can is? Is he saving these stickers for later? Is there a reason, right? And so it just could be a thing. Anybody else's spouse? I just need to know. Anybody else? Don, the garbage can is right there. Anyway.
0: It's not true. I don't eat an apple every day.
1: Keeps the doctor away. Okay. Anyway, I will find it could be a small thing like that that is not a big deal. But suddenly, all of a sudden, what's going on in my head is like, that is so inconsiderate. He is not thinking at all about the fact that I have to come and take that sticker off and put it in the garbage can. You know what? He's inconsiderate all the time. He doesn't think about anything. He doesn't ever do anything around here. I have to do everything. Why is he like that? Why did I marry him? Can anybody relate to that spiral in your head? And I have learned that before long, that can become And everything can then feed into that. And so if in your mind that spiral has started of criticism, of we're looking at everything and you're just like, why are you doing that? Why are you saying that? Why do you think that? When I really am honest with it about myself, a lot of those critical thoughts and whether they come out in words or not, it really has to do with pride, right? Because it's me thinking, what's wrong with you that you don't think the way I think? What's wrong with you that you don't want to do things the way I do, that you don't see things the way I do? I'm obviously thinking that I'm right. And the Lord is very clear all throughout Scripture that we are to squash every form of pride. It is a relationship killer. And so if you, I just want to encourage you this week, if you find yourself critical in your mind about your spouse, I have to sometimes just walk myself back and go, okay, hold on. Let's just talk about this. It's a sticker on the sink. Who do you know Jeff Kerr to be? He shows up, he's a good man, he loves us. You know, and instead of focusing on those critical thoughts, I have to stop back and and pull it back in and say, wait a minute, I know, he might be different. It doesn't bother him if there's a a sticker on the sink. But that's okay. It doesn't make him a bad person. So I want you to just be mindful of criticism, whether it's in your mind, and be incredibly mindful if it's starting to come out of your mouth especially, I'm going to just throw this in there, if it has to do with your kids. Because some of you have kids that you do not get at all. And you're like, I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what's going on inside of you. And if you're not careful, you can just start to, to let those things come out, and pretty soon it will undermine the security of your relationship. Instead, pull it back and be like, hey, they think really differently from me. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm right and they're wrong. But be very mindful of criticism.
0: So we got about 10 minutes left. I want to just, the last thing I'm going to say is just talk about this idea of how our faith kind of gets walked out. The idea, the difference between a vertical faith and a horizontal faith. So for many people, um, your idea of faith in God is a very vertical thing. It's, there's God. Um, I'm going to try not to sin. God, are you okay with this? Did I sin? Am I messing up too much? Uh, God, I need you to be close to me. I need to feel your presence. Um, it's very vertical. God, I want to love you. It's, that's, that's your faith. That's what faith is. And this is a very, um, a lot of people are vertical only. That's what faith in God means. It's just my relationship. Are you happy with me? Am I sinning? And this is a very kind of Old Testament model. If you read through the Old Testament, this was how God, you know, God had his people and it was like, you focus on me. There was, you know, the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments is, I'm the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. And if you, if you talk to a good Jewish believer uh, who, is, who would summarize the Old Testament, it was the Old Testament is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. Vertical faith, relationship with God. Um, that is the way it was designed. Now, Jesus changed all that. He didn't negate the vertical faith. Love for God was there. But he added horizontal faith. If you read in Matthew chapter 5, this is Jesus talking in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. He's talking about people bringing their sacrifice to the temple, and he says this, uh, Matthew 5, 23, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, and then come offer your gift. Now, this is weird to us because we don't really have a context to kind of understand what Jesus was saying here. But for his audience, first century Jewish people who were still in the Old Testament sacrificial system. If you were a Jewish person, you had at least twice a year, it was required for you to go from wherever your home was to the temple in Jerusalem and offer a sacrifice. So some people lived days away, like it was a two to three day walk. You think a road trip over spring break to Tennessee with your kids in the backseat is rough today. This is like two to three days, we're walking to the temple, we have to get there, Um, and then everybody's there at the temple just People everywhere, I had, and animals being sacrificed, and you had to find a, an animal and buy one, and people getting taken advantage of, just absolute chaos. So you can imagine, you're in line after days of battling your family, and you finally got there, and you're about to give your sacrifice, and people will be like, wait a minute, Jesus, what you're saying is, if I think at that point, my brother back in my hometown is mad at me, I'm supposed to get out of this line and go back home and then do it all again. If you stood in line for a ride at Epcot for four <laughs> hours, the last thing you're going to do if your kid says, i got to go to the bathroom, is get out of that line. You're like, sorry, kid, we're invested now. We're staying here, right? This is what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is what comes first is how your relationships are going. A horizontal faith comes first. Now, it's not forgetting about the sacrifice. Come back and, and offer a sacrifice to God. But make sure your relationships are right. This is how you are walking out your faith. This is how you're walking out your faith. Earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts with this thought. He's telling the people, you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. In other words, you are God's people. You are the religious people. So your faith in your relationships should impact other people. In verse 16 it says, let your light shine before me so that others may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Your relationships with one another are how people are going to look at you and say, that is what God's love is like. So for married people in the room, whatever state your marriage is in, or maybe one day to be married, this is sobering for me when I think about this, that God designed marriage, man and woman, to be united as one flesh. Those verses we read in Genesis, they, man would leave his father and mother, unite with his wife, become one flesh that union between husband and wife is to be an example for the world of what god's love is like for his people and his people's love is like for their god that's what marriage is about so there's times where if there's conflict or i'm just being a dummy in marriage or leaving apple stickers on the sink the reason i leave it there is because they disappear i go back the next day and it's gone and so i just think that's where the sticker is I'm an enabler to go. <laughs> When I view our marriage in a healthy way, realizing this is to be an example of God's love for the world. That just puts everything in perspective. This is how, when Jesus introduced this idea of a horizontal faith, it's that your faith in God will be demonstrated and worked out and the work of God that wants to do in you to make you more Christ-like and bring about the fruit of the Spirit in your life. All of that's going to be done through your relationships, not just with your spouse, not just with your kids, but every relationship that you have. Matthew 22, verse 35 through 40. This is when a Jewish ruler came up to Jesus, and he wanted to trap Jesus, and so he asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? And again, the Old Testament view was Old Testament, love the Lord your God, the one that every Jewish person would know. And so it says this in Matthew 22, verse 35. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him, Jesus, with this question, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, like everybody knew he should. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And everyone would have said, oh, he got it. That's right. Everyone knows the answer. And then Jesus kept going. And the second, he said, and everyone would have been like, no, 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 no. There is no second, right? You No, you can't add a commandment here. And he says, and the second is like it. And Jesus isn't saying second place. And the second greatest commandment, it is, The greatest commandment is also this. That's what Jesus is saying, is to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The second one is how you walk out, the first one. The second one is how you demonstrate, the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it goes on, people would ask, well, who is your neighbor? Who are you talking about? You must be just talking about us Galileans, or us Judeans, or us Jewish people, because we, we would, the world then would have been very segregated. In Judea was all the Jewish people that kind of believed the same thing. Samaria had the Samaritans, and they were considered unclean by the Jewish people. So anyone listening to Jesus talk about who his neighbor was would think, well, just the people who are like me, who agree with me, who vote like me, who worship like me, who worship the same God. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor is, and he would tell the story of the good Samaritan. Your neighbor is the people who are different from you, the outsider, the people you consider your enemy, the hurting. These are the people that you walk out your faith by showing how you love them. It is not a simply vertical thing, but how we show our love for God is how we love other people. John 13, 35, Jesus said, by this, how you love others, how you love your spouse and your kids and your coworkers and your friends. By this, everyone will know that you're a disciple. By this, relationship that you have and how you love one another is how everyone will know that you have a love for God.
1: So as we wrap up today, I wanted to just um, read a scripture that I've been praying over everybody over the last week. Because I know that as we talk about having healthy relationships, that this is really hard sometimes. This is really difficult. And I know a lot of you, maybe you are in a season where you feel like, man, this relationship in my life feels like a barren wasteland. It doesn't feel like there's anything good. And I've been praying uh, Ezekiel chapter 36 over the families in our church over the last week because I believe that this is a promise for some of you. I believe this is a promise for some of you that have been really disheartened and discouraged because you feel like it's been a long time since I've been able to enjoy the benefits of a beautiful garden It feels like a long time since there's been happiness and joy and fruit and all the good things, and I'm looking at it, and it just feels like a lot of work and desolate, and I don't even know if it can get fixed, and I really believe that this is a word for somebody in here today that God is promising you that he is going to replant, and he is going to restore, and he is going to help you cultivate the ground to bring something really beautiful out of something that feels super desolate and broken. And Ezekiel chapter 6, this is a portion of scripture, when after the Jewish people, they had been carried away into exile and slavery, and their homes had been left, and everything was desolate, and nobody had lived, lived in this city, and everything was overrun and overgrown, God was giving them a promise that he was going to bring them back. And not only were they going to come back, but he is telling them that the greater work that he was going to restore the beauty of it was going to be done. And here's what it says, Ezekiel 36, 33. This is what the sovereign Lord says. On the day I cleanse you from your sins, I will resettle your towns and the ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. They will say... This land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations around you that remain will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed, and I have replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. I want to encourage you today. I don't know what relationship feels this way to you. Maybe it is your family, your marriage. Maybe it is a fractured relationship with a parent or a sibling. Maybe it is something with your kids and you have just been feeling like it's just desolate and you don't even know where to begin. I believe the Lord is saying to you today, I'm going to replant. It's going to be okay. I know you can't envision it, but this is what I do. This is what I do. I specialize in coming in and making something beautiful out of something broken. But we cannot be passive in this. How God does this work is that he speaks to us. And he shows us the things that we need to do to cultivate the ground. And so I am challenging you this week to have your eyes and your ears and your heart open. Because we don't have to do this work alone. God has promised to tell us, to show us, right? I go out to my garden and I look and I think, where do I start? Well, some some knowledge I have, some things I have to look up, some things I ask for advice. God will show you the things that you need to do. You need to listen and obey, right? There are times that we are in the middle of a big conflict and I'll go in the bathroom and I'll look in the mirror and I'm like, I know exactly what I should do. I should say, I'm sorry. I should say I was wrong. I should I should give in on that thing. And yet I have to literally like, KK, you got to do this. You, gotta, you know the right thing, right? A lot of times the Holy Spirit will drop something into our, our hearts. We know we need to do something different. We know something in our behavior is destroying the garden. We know that we keep habitually doing things that are hurting our family. And yet we just kind of keep ignoring it. And I am praying that this week, God will shine a light on something in your life. Maybe it is that you need to call a counselor. Maybe it is that you need to start the work in your own life. Maybe it is that you need to apologize. Maybe it is you just need to invest some time. You've kind of just been ignoring the relationships in your life. Whatever it is, I know that the Holy Spirit will drop that into your heart and show you what the right thing is. Your job is to then do it. So as we pray, I'm just asking that God will just begin this work, that he'll begin to show you how to cultivate the relationships in your life so that something really beautiful can grow out of it. So let's bow our heads and pray as we wrap up today. Lord, I thank you so much that you are the perfect gardener. Lord, we see this analogy all through scripture over and over again. You remind us of this beautiful thing that a seed goes into the ground, and yet something beautiful and nourishing can emerge. And so, Lord, we know that there are people here today that are just so hungry to see beauty in their relationships. It has felt dry and barren and like a lot of work, and Lord, just filled with pain. Lord, it's not just hard, it hurts. And I thank you today, Jesus, that you care about the relationships in our life. Lord, you don't just step aside and that somehow is not a spiritual thing that, like we learned today, relationships are all a part of our faith and that you care about the relationships in our life. And so I am, first of all, thank you for this promise in scripture. I pray that today someone will grab a hold of this and hold on to it with dear life that you are able to do a miracle that you are able to replant what has felt desolate and broken, that you are at work, that we are not alone to just sit there and take it as it is. But God, you are doing something. You are working. So first of all, we thank you for that. We thank you for your good work that you're doing in all our relationships. And secondly, Lord, we just commit ourselves to walking that out. Whatever it is you ask us to do, Lord, we recognize that we have to have the humility to hear the places we're falling short. And we have to have the humility to accept those things and to make it right. And that, again, is how you're helping us die to our flesh and become more like you. And so I pray that this week you would begin to just drop into the hearts of people areas that they can uh, reconcile relationships, things that they have done, that maybe, God, that they can do to, to try and make it right. In all of these things, Lord, I thank you that you have a beautiful, abundant life for us. And that includes beautiful and abundant relationships. So we ask you to just teach us this week. Lord, show us the right way to go. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here today. If you want specific prayer, we'll be up front. We'd be happy to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great week. and We'll see you next week.